Welcome to Group Talk. Four shows, one podcast from the Small Group Network focusing on topics relevant to small group ministries. Whether you're in a church of 100 or 10,000, whether you're a volunteer or staff, we want to support, encourage, and equip you to lead well. So relax, listen, and enjoy Here to There with Carolyn Picata. Hey everyone, thank you for joining us for Here to There, where we explore movement from our present reality to the preferred future that God has for us. So we've heard the conventional wisdom in small groups ministry related to how or why people connect in groups. We say people come for content and they stay for relationships. I really have no idea who said that, but that sentence has been uh, running around and accepted generally in the group's world for many years. But is it really true? (laughs) Is it kind of true? Is it maybe true? Well, it's hard to say because there really aren't any studies that I'm aware of that tells us specifically why people join a group. We do know, however, anecdotally, that there's lots of evidence that people join for many different reasons and they connect in many different ways. So today we're going to talk about the various ways people do connect into groups and the pros and cons of the different types of connection strategies. Also, we're going to talk about the different types of groups, whether you have married, singles, um, by gender, stage of life, multi-generational, etc., and all the different strengths and weaknesses that come with um, having groups typed in that particular fashion. So in this past chaotic year of COVID, to say the least, it's likely that you've connected people differently than you have in the past. Um, And now with increasing numbers of people vaccinated and the country opening up again for in-person gatherings, you're probably preparing to do connections into new groups in the upcoming months. Well, this is a great time to reevaluate how we're connecting people into groups and to make intentional decisions and create some strategies about how to do this well. So to help us um, is our guest today, Steve Curran, and I am so excited to talk to him about this topic because he's someone who's not afraid to challenge the status quo or experiment with new ideas. Thanks, Steve, for being on the program. Absolutely, Carolyn. Thank you so much for having me. I know we have been wanting to have this conversation for a while, and so I'm excited about it. Like every time we have seen each other at the lobby, it's been like, oh, we should talk about this stuff on on here to there. So I'm excited to be a part of it. Yeah. And I think part of what I enjoy about having conversations with you, Steve, is that um, you like to debate and discuss and analyze things. And I remember the first time we met, I think years ago, we were at like a small group network dinner thing. And um, we were sitting across the table with a bunch of other people. I think Nick Lindsay was there, some other people. And we had a really lively disagreement about something. I have absolutely no idea what it was, but I remember like I was going into like lawyer mode and you were like leaning across the table and it was so interesting and i think you raised some good points i don't think i agreed ultimately but i think we caused each other to think and that that's what i'd like us to do today and i love that um you're someone who does that and it's not a personal thing it's just we like to think about ideas and so i'm glad you're here um so steve kern has been involved in leading small groups for more than 20 years he's currently the community pastor at compassion christian church which is a multi-site church in savannah georgia area focusing on um, discipleship and groups. And I know um, if you've listened to Nick's podcast on Group Talk called Reading Lens last September um, 2020, you heard about Steve and his naval experience. And um, they discussed a book together. I'm trying to remember the name of the book. Extreme Ownership. It's one of my favorites. Yes. 
It was, and actually, it was a great discussion. So, if you haven't listened to that, um, by the way, Nick has this great podcast where he reads books and discusses them with guests, so that you don't have to. And then he gives you nuggets um, that apply to groups ministry. And he and Steve had a really fun conversation about extreme ownership, which kind of makes sense with the whole naval thing. Um, and you can find that podcast under the Small Group Network website, under resources, or on iTunes, or wherever you get your um, podcasts. So, I opened the podcast with the axiom that I'm sure you've heard too that. People People come for content and stay for relationship. So, agree or disagree, and why? Um, so, yes and no is what I'll answer to that. So, um, <laughs> I think if there are no other variables, if content is the only thing that people have to go off of, then they'll come for content. But I, what I found in reality is that they actually have lots of other variables that they're. Mm-hmm. using in their decision making and content tends to rank pretty low on that. So I, um, this came off of a conversation I had with my wife. So my wife uh, was in a group um, that was a, a short term group. So they were doing a study around the book of Ruth. And um, then after that, the group kind of took a break and then they were launching again and doing a different study. And my wife had already done that study before, and she was like, I mean, it's okay. And I said, well, why don't you find another group? And she said, well, because I like these people. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do whatever they're studying. So at that point, I was like, wait a minute. I thought people <laughs> came for content and stayed for community. And my wife's telling me she's coming for community, and content doesn't really matter at this point. And so um, so that kind of led me to walk through what does what – does, similar to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like what is the hierarchy of how people connect? So for for me, for us, it's it starts with chemistry. And chemistry is king. If you like people, if you connect with people, the rest of it doesn't matter. Like in my wife's case, didn't matter what time of day, didn't matter what day of the mm-hmm. week, didn't matter how far she had to drive, didn't matter what they were studying. She had chemistry with the people in that group. And so she was going back to that group no matter what. So if you can figure out chemistry then the rest of it kind of doesn't matter. I think this is one of the uh, the brilliant things behind Steve Gladen's, you know, two friends strategy. So bring two friends and then launch a group. Chemistry is built into that group already because right. you're already friends. Um, so the second, second, so it goes chemistry, then it goes kids, and kids is shorthand for life stage, right? So mm-hmm. where your kids are in your life stage affects when you can connect to a group. If you've got teeny tiny babies at home, it's just going to be hard. And, it, right. and and even if it's a perfect study, and yes, I absolutely want to study that subject. If you've got teeny tiny kids, it's, it's going to be really hard to make that work. Um, if you've got kids that are in college, it's a lot easier, but it's also something that can cause tension when you are in a group where there's lots of young kids running around and you don't have young kids at home and you're like, oh, I don't want to deal with this. So um, not that and maybe that only happens in our church where we have people <laughs> like that. I'm sure that doesn't happen in your church. Um, so chemistry kids, the next is calendar. So then people look at their calendar. So if, if, if they don't know anybody, so there's no chemistry and their life stage isn't really a factor, then the next thing they're looking at is their calendar. Okay, what days of the week do I have open? Mm-hmm. How does this fit into my life? Next one after that is commute. So how far do I have to drive? Right. You know, and then uh, especially here in Savannah, 20 minutes is like forever here in Savannah. <laughs> 20 like, minutes no, is like next door neighbor for us. It's just so ridiculous. <laughs> I moved here from D.C. and I'm like, 
20 minutes was like the grocery store. It wasn't yeah. like far. Um, but there's just, that's just the way that it is in Savannah. Like if you ask somebody to drive over 20 minutes, they're like, oh, it's so far. Um, <laughs> so, so chemistry, kids, calendar, commute. And then we finally get to content. So mm. that means they don't know anybody. They don't know anybody's life stage. Every day of the week is open to them. They'll drive an, uh, no, a distance no matter what. At that point, that's when content starts to matter. But until you get to that point, content really is not very high on the list of needs, right? So if, if it's a study on James that I really want to do, but it's only on Wednesday night and I don't have Wednesday night open, it, like I'm not coming for the content. My calendar takes right. precedent over that. Okay, so I think, okay, so you said so much there. At first, I have to ask, how did you create the Steve Kern hierarchy of um, connecting needs? Was this like anecdotal stuff from your church, or is it just information you've collected over the years? I always have to ask the source for the data. <laughs> sure. So um, it's mostly anecdotal, but I've been okay. doing this for a long time. Um, yeah, I did it yeah. as a volunteer for a long time. Um, and it's just really, it grew out of frustration with why aren't people connecting? Like why is right. we're, we're offering all of the studies that they are saying they want to study, but they're still not connecting. So why not? And that led to kind of mm -hmm. examining, talking to people and watching how groups actually work. I didn't do a, you know, an annotated <laughs> study on this. I did not hire anyone <laughs> to do research, but it's proven true for us. I just want to put that disclaimer, we have not done a longitudinal study on this. However, yeah. I think um, for our listeners, there's probably parts of this that like you kind of click with and go, that makes sense. Okay, so let me push back on a few things. So your wife's experience actually proves the point of that axiom because maybe she started with the content. Maybe the first study was, you know, the Beth Moore Desiring God or something, something that like is standard for a women's ministry and she got in for that. But then chemistry with the people in her group is causing her to stay regardless of what else they study next or uh, what time or any of the other pieces. Because you're absolutely right. I think if you like the people, you're going to stick and the other stuff does become secondary. But to get people to like each other, I mean, that's what we're talking about in the beginning with the connecting part. And let's just set aside Saddleback and Steve Gladen's brilliant strategy for now and say we're not doing, because that's like game over, right? So that in terms of chemistry, that you're ensuring sure. chemistry that way. So let's say mm -hmm. people don't have friends. And really, you know, with the pandemic and all, a lot of people's friendship circles have really dried up and fallen away. So it may be more the case that our, our congregants don't have two friends to invite, honestly. Um, so, okay, so I think the chemistry so, piece, I, I would agree, is paramount. But where it comes to play, like, because you can't really engineer chemistry. Right. Or can you? You can't engineer chemistry. Well, so this is um, another maxim, right, that I kind of use, which is the best way to get somebody into your small group is to invite them into your small group. Yes. And so our connection process is built around generating that invitation. So mm -hmm. the reality is um, there are definitely people who come to our church who are brand new to the area right. who don't know anybody. But yes. the reality for most people is they know somebody. And even if they mm -hmm. don't know somebody, they've met somebody at church that day. <laughs> Right. So <laughs> they have some sort of relationship with somebody like my wife's example to use that. It wasn't the Ruth study that drew her into the group. It was an invitation from a friend who said, uh, hey, you can come do this group with me. Right. And so that, again, 
goes back to chemistry being king. When someone invites you in, even if it's someone you just met, it feels you're much more um, subconsciously connected mm-hmm. to that group than you are if you just show up cold. If that makes absolutely. sense. Absolutely. Well, no, absolutely. And also, it's intimidating. Uh, in our culture now, I don't know what it's like in Savannah because I just feel like I have this this idyllic image of the South and how people are so hospitable and they just yeah. welcome you into their house and have dinner parties all the time. We don't really do that in California. Um, so <laughs> we, I just feel like it's, it's more intimidating to go into people's homes. We meet in restaurants. Well, we used to meet in restaurants or other places rather than the homes. So coming, walking in cold to someone's house is becoming a bigger barrier than it has been in previous generations. Have you noticed that for your area? Um, yes. So while Savannah isn't exactly gone with the wind all the time, right? So, <laughs> I hope, um, well, I hope not because you know, there's some other bad things about yeah, that era. About that as well. um, but, uh, but it is a very hospitable place. Like that's, that's part of it. I actually think um, COVID-19 has helped groups in that way Mm. so it used the conventional wisdom which i'm not sure i ever agreed with but the conventional wisdom was it's easier to invite somebody to church than it was to invite them to a small group like yes it felt like a safer place well so we're, we're we're meeting back in person we've been back in person since october of last year it does not feel like a safer ask Mm -hmm. to say come to church with me with a couple of hundred to maybe right. a thousand people you don't know, as opposed to, hey, yeah. come with me to this group of 10 people you don't know. Like that actually is an easier question to ask now You're because right. of the result of COVID-19. And so that's what we're finding. Like people are connecting to our church after being connected into smaller groups first. Yeah, and I think that trend was already starting because I remember um, a couple years ago we had this conversation at the lobby with some people and it seemed like um, because as we become more of a culture in America, at least that's de-churched and unchurched, that being invited to someone's house is much more um, likely to be accepted than um, inviting them to a church building. People just have a lot more hang-ups now with church than they have before, and especially with younger generations, especially on the East and West Coast. Um, So there's definitely the contextual stuff I know you and I really agree on. You know, context really matters. So know your context, know your culture. Um, So I think, yeah, I would would agree with that. That that makes sense. Okay, now about the content piece. Now, you know, a lot of churches do the sermon-based model, and it does seem to make sense and the conventional wisdom there is you do a sermon based model people want to learn together and kind of dive in deeper into that model Um, so if you have discussion questions or you have curriculum built around that it's easier to start new groups uh, around that particular content and I know we know churches that have done really well with that model what do you think about that Steve? Um, Well so I think sermon based discussion uh, we've we've done that for a while. We, we are much more free market with our groups where they have mm-hmm. our, a lot of freedom in choosing what they do as a group, what they study. Um, again, because we don't right. value content as higher as maybe some other churches do. Right. Um, but uh, but we've done sermon-based discussion stuff. Uh, what it, what it I think it works well for groups where the, um, the com- uh, I want to say this in a kind way, the commitment level isn't <laughs> as high as in some other groups. So, for example, yes. the only homework you have to do is go to church, right? If you go to church, you are prepared. Or for just the watch it. Some, 
Yeah, or, or just watch, watch it sometime like, on YouTube. Online. Like you just have to have listened to the sermon. Um, mm -hmm. So it, it doesn't take a high level of commitment to be prepared for the group as opposed to a group that's doing like an in-depth study where there's homework or, mm -hmm. or daily devotions or, 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 or stuff like that. Um, and, and those have those, they have their benefits. Um, but sure. I, I think it kind of limits you as far as how deep you can go, you know, because okay. if you're not, it's, I've just found like, like most things in life, the way the Holy Spirit works is you get out of it what you put into it, right? And so mm -hmm. if it's a shallow level of commitment, it tends to be a shallow level of spiritual growth. Um, you'll mm -hmm. grow to a certain point, but at, at, at some point, we probably want to go beyond just the sermon. And I, I love sermon-based discussion. I think senior pastors are amazing and what they're communicating. Like I would never say that that shouldn't be part of it, um, but I think there's a place for it to go deeper that you don't necessarily get out of sermon-based groups. Yeah, that's fair. And I think it may be um, a good place to start, but not a great place to stop. So, mm -hmm. um, and I, and we have used it, uh, you know, we have sermon-based too, but we also have other types of groups. And we use it once a year as a rallying point. So we'll do a six-week, um, like a campaign-ish thing, we don't call it that. And we basically, it's a way to gather more of the fringe people. Um, people that that like our our teaching that have maybe been the church you know once or twice or it's a way to get collect more people along the um, the edges than it is to collect the core. Um, the core will go towards a deeper study or they have chemistry or they have friends or other things, but it seems to be a good way to especially if it's a sermon series that's more um, seeker friendly, uh, more you know more uh, felt need, uh, life skills kind of stuff, principle biblical principles versus you know Nehemiah or Nehemiah is actually not bad. Uh, what should I say? Uh, Jeremiah maybe that that might be a little a little rough for a a brand new uh, person, but so I think there is a place for it. So content might kick in and help, but um, I, I would tend to agree that over time that may um, not leverage it as well. Um, so you have different types of groups as you spoke about, um, you know, into the free market. So going away from the subject matter, let's talk about the different uh, ways we congregate in those groups, right? So uh, we want to understand, like, if you do a certain type of group, um, then you're going to produce a certain type of outcome. So let's kind of take these one at a time. So okay. the same gender groups, I've, I've often heard, you know, you go so much deeper with a men's group or a women's group than you do in a mixed gender group. Um, so what's the pros and cons of same gender versus mixed? So, um, so specifically around single people, right? So I, I'll talk about it in two ways. So one around single, same gender versus single mixed, and then couple, same gender versus couples mixed. So okay. with singles, I, I really, really, really believe in separation by gender. Um, just because after like the, I don't know, 25th time that uh, <laughs> someone in the group dated, slept with, did other things with somebody, and then broke up with that person and blew up the group, I became convinced... <laughs> that putting mixed gender singles together is just a recipe for disaster. Um, and I have a heart for helping them find someone to, to be with. And I, and I know I, where should you go besides church to find someone that, that right. you want to, you know, be in a relationship with? Absolutely. Um, but it just is really hard. If the group is about producing spiritual growth and not just about 
finding a place to connect with other people, then I think that separation of genders works better. If it is about finding community, then having mixed gender actually works. So um, that's that's the uh, old rule in college ministry. If you want college small groups to work, get college women in the groups and the guys will show up. (laughs) <laughs> like if, if you get them there, the guys will show. Um, so, uh, so yeah. So there, again, there's benefits to that when it comes to community. I think in couples, what I recommend in couples, what I ask our couples groups to do is just at least once a year do a study where they're separated by gender, mm-hmm. because okay. you can have conversations around stuff that is that's a similar experience around gender. Um, that the opposite de- gender just doesn't understand because their brain doesn't work that way. Like men's brains work differently than women's brains work. Women's brains work much better. Um, and so uh, <laughs> so having, um, having the freedom to kind of come together and move apart has worked. We've had a couple of groups made up of couples that have been really successful by splitting and alternating weeks. Yeah. So the women meet one week, the men meet the other week. That solves all childcare problems. Um, because the other spouse just stays home with the kids and that's worked really well for them. And even when they're doing the same study, because then it allows the couples to be able to talk about it on their own together if they want to. Um, right. But it allows them to go deeper with individual genders. So that's kind yeah, of, so oh. I no, And I, I think I would agree with that. So here's a couple things though, that might be pros. I, I'm basically going to take the, whichever side you're not taking okay. uh, so this, this role. So, Okay, I totally agree. I've had to clean up some messes in singles groups as well. Um, so they are, they do have that inherent um, risk. But what's been so sweet about some of them is that when they do work well, and typically you need a leader that is really strong and that you set some ground rules early about not dating um, for a period of time. You make it, make sure it's not going to turn into that. But it, so it just requires a stronger leader. But when it has worked, um, this it's such a sweet place for people to have relationships and friendships with, um, you know, as brothers and sisters in Christ, rather than seeing them as potential dating partners, uh, which is what the world would say. And where else are you going to see healthy um, relationships that, you know, in the body of Christ, if you see them together. And so I think there have been those occasions where um, with the right leader, with the right people focused on discipleship, that can work. Even then, it's a good idea to split out um, the same gender once in a while. I think that's healthy. With respect to the married couples groups, so sometimes we have married couples groups that will lead, um, and they'll lead a mixed group. And meaning that there's, um, if you're a single mom, if you're uh, widowed, you're welcome there as well. And the beauty of of that scenario, it's not as comfortable as having a bunch of mixed uh, married couples together with which has a commonality. But what's beautiful about that is, and I just, I remember this story from maybe early on in my ministry where there was a woman who had been um, been through a horrible divorce, a really rough situation, and she was just not wanting to be around men at all at that time. And um, and she was in a mixed, uh, got put in a mixed group uh, because of time of day or week or whatever it was, that was the only one we had at the time. Uh, and the the husband and there was a, a married couple leading that group and the husband was so kind um, to her and spent time with her um, teenage son and just you know, fixed stuff around the house I mean like they just adopted her as a sister um, and it was such a beautiful thing and she told me about three months later initially she was like I can't do this group I, I don't want to be around men and I just give it I said, give it a I knew the couple 
I knew what they could do. Um, and I sort of trusted them. So I said, just give it a month and then let me know. Um, and then she just actually, she stayed in the group several years um, and it changed. It changed the trajectory of how she viewed relationships. Um, her son hugely benefited from it as a single mom. So before I, I toss it out, um, I actually really see some beauty in that. But again, I would say, and you, I'm sure you'd agree, Steve, it's really about the leadership and what their goal is. If they're focused on discipleship um, and, and you have like a mixed group, you can make it work. Um, and a widowed person can find comfort in, you know, in watching other, in being around others. It's really their choice, but I do think that it can work at times. Hey, Small Group Network family, Jason Banzoff here, Group Talk producer, and I am interrupting this great episode of Here to There to talk to you about huddles. Huddles are small groups for small group point people, and I'm here with John Laster, and he is the leader of the Spring Hill Columbia Huddle in the Nashville, Tennessee area. So John, tell me, what do you think about huddles? So I firmly believe, based on experience, that being connected in a huddle is one of the healthiest things a small group point person can do. Uh, it's a really a good opportunity for you to get connected outside of your church and to practice what you preach about not living in isolation, but doing life with other small group point people. I love that. I really, really like that. So what would you say about the small group point person who is on the fence about joining a huddle? Uh, stop thinking about it and just do it find a local huddle near you if you haven't been able to locate one that works for you it's a good chance to start one i love that yeah we always want people to either join one or start one if they don't have one in their area so if that's you you can go to smallgroupnetwork.com forward slash huddles to get connected to one today and now that was the legend himself john laster john thank you so much for your time Thank you, sir. I appreciate you. All right. Now back to here to there with Carolyn Takeda. Absolutely. So I I would never say don't do any of these groups. That's that's sure. not what I'm saying. It's it's getting clear about um, what problems you want to deal with, right? So sure. um, if if building relationships in a singles group and having brothers and sisters in Christ that you aren't romantically involved in that you can have conversations around is great, but you just have to know that that comes with the problems of some of those groups might get blown up because of dating relationships, yeah. right? And that's okay. Um, you're just, you know the problems when you're going into it. So that's, that's part of figuring out what groups you do and what model you use is figuring out what problems are okay. What do I want to accept and deal with? Yeah, and let's underscore that because none of this is a perfect model. So, okay, so when you do life stage, which uh, life stage makes it so much easier to lead because you have commonality instantly. But so, what are some of the um, dangers of having a life stage, or as well as some of the benefits? Okay, yeah. So I actually really am in favor of separating out by life stage, um, and I know mm -hmm. folks who are. Um, have great stories around multi-generational groups, like your story, like talking about a widow connecting with a young couple, like that's a great story. Um, and, 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 and one of the benefits of a multi-generational group is that you have um, the ability to care for one another across generational divides, mm -hmm. right? So right. Um, we have younger folks, help, matter of fact, um, this isn't a group example, but this is an, a, a multi-generational example where um, kids were getting on the computers for their grandparents to try and get them in to get a COVID-19 vaccine. Yes, yes. Right, they can't figure out how to do that. So that's beautiful stuff that can happen in a multi-generational group. 
what I found is that in multi-generational groups, it tends to stay um, uh, connected. Connected is not the right word. Tend to stay concentrated around group mm. time. So they only interact with each other during group time. Whereas in a life stage group where they're kind of grouped around True. a similar life stage, it's a lot easier to, to get into the in-between spaces in between our group meetings. So, hey, we're going to the mall, we're going to the movies, we're going whatever. Like you don't mm-hmm. invite your grandparents out with you to do that. You invite your grandparents in to share wisdom and, and talk scripture. Mm-hmm. You're not necessarily gonna gonna connect your whole life with them. So that's Yeah, no, you're absolutely you're right. Fun, you know. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. You don't have the doing life together part is harder because um, you can invite, if you're a group of young families, you're going to show up at each other's soccer games and do the movies or do play dates. Um, if you're an empty nester group and we have these, they go on vacation together because um, they're not, they don't have the, the commitments. Um, but where I think it does work sometimes is where you have um, older people that really want to mentor. And, um, and they recognize that they're not going to do the social stuff with the kids, um, the younger people, but that they're there as a mentor and a wisdom. And they have their own community elsewhere. I think it works when it's more of a ministry mindset for the, um, either the young or the old person, whoever it is. It's more of a community. It's more of a, a ministry mindset, a discipleship mindset, rather than a these are the people I want to do life with. You almost have to find that elsewhere if you're going to lead this kind of group. Yeah, I think that's I think that's true. I think multi-generational tends to work best when the older generation is leading, right? They're the ones pouring in, mm-hmm. and then uh, those in the younger generation are the ones who are learning, if you will. Yeah, and, and well, and some of these affinities are going to layer on, right? Like, for example, and we talked about the commute difference in mm-hmm. your area versus mine. Um, so we've done around proximity. Let's let's talk about geography, neighborhood groups versus a broader population. So where's pro- proximity for someone may be a high priority if they're commuting long distance and they just don't want to get in the car and have to commute for a group. Now we have online groups, so that's a whole other deal um, where proximity won't matter. But what do you think are the pluses and minuses of that so uh so we would call those a neighborhood group right and we have some folks who started a neighborhood group in fact our my first small group here in savannah was built around a neighborhood like it i really felt the holy spirit calling me to invite my neighbors to become a part of it now we moved two years later and all those people still kept coming to our house so chemistry <laughs> is king once you love people you, you yeah. stay with them. Um, but uh, so the, I, I think neighborhood groups can work really well. And then, again, it's easy. It's easy to, to yeah. step into the life spaces and the in-betweens. And, like, you see the people every day. That also has some built-in accountability to it, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to see these people every day. So I want to make sure that I'm, I'm, I'm living out what we're talking about. Um, I think some of the struggle is, especially for the American experience, like we don't really connect with our neighbors much anymore. Yeah. You know, uh, that's, I can't remember where I read this, but they, they said the, the garage door opener was the death of community, like, like the death of the front porch, because you can open right. your garage door and close it behind you and never like have to even wave at your neighbors to go into your house. Right. Um, Luckily for us, our garage is packed full of stuff, so we don't have that issue. <laughs> I get to wave at my neighbors every day. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, that's like 
that's the struggle with a neighborhood group yeah. is it can be a lot harder to develop. And again, depending on what you're looking for, if you're right. looking for uh, a group of new or non-believers that you feel called to lead um, and introduce people to Jesus and walk through that mm -hmm. together, that's awesome. That can work really well. If you're looking for a, a group of strong believers to help support you as you go out and do ministry, neighborhood groups can be really tough. Yeah, right? that's a really... You're not yeah, that's a really good that. distinction. Yeah, I think you nailed it. It's the strength of the neighborhood group is the potential for evangelism um, and accountability. I think that that makes a lot of sense. And if you're in the same neighborhood, chances are you're going to have similar stage of life. I mean, that's mm -hmm. kind of how where people move in near schools or near, you know, different uh, recreation things. So I think the, the evangelism piece is really, really nice for that. And it's easier to invite neighbor. Maybe post-COVID, we're going to have more success with that because people trust in the same little community. They know, you know, what what people are doing to stay safe. And there may be higher level of trust there than going across town. Um, but yes, I, I also think it's it's challenging. Um, and I love that you keep pointing to, you know, figuring out what is the purpose for the group. And it doesn't mean that like our whole ministry has to be one thing or one type of group. The idea of having this kind of, um, you know, this list of groups that we're going through is that you can actually have a lot of different types of groups, even in a smaller church, right, Steve? Like you, you can have maybe a couple neighborhood groups. You can have a couple life stage groups. I mean, you can kind of sprinkle different ones throughout. You don't have to create the whole system around one type. Absolutely. I actually think creating it around one type might hurt you um, mm. because um, discipleship is a journey. It's not a, um, a, a, a static process, if you will, mm -hmm. right? So it went, and oftentimes when we think about discipleship, everyone has a, a different picture in their mind when they talk about being a disciple. For some people, it's a brand new Christian, and there's lots of resources around brand new Christian mm -hmm. stuff and first year with Jesus and all that kind of stuff. Like there's tons of stuff around that. But for others, like you've been with, you know, you've been following Jesus for 10, 20, 30 years. Well, you don't need to understand Jesus as savior. You don't need to understand substitution mm -hmm. on the cross. You, like, like that's not stuff. I've had, I had a conversation with someone recently about that. They were asking for a group, looking for a group um, because in their current group, his response was, We've done the marriage study. Yep, got that. We've done the parenting study. Yep, got that. We've done the giving study. Yep, got that. Like, what's next? Like, I've got the basics down. Now talk to me about how to um, move forward and be challenged in my faith. Um, and so I think that having different types of groups, um, like this, I, going back to like sermon-based discussion, right? So Sermon-based discussion will take you to a certain place, but you're going to need a different type of group to get to a place farther on. And hopefully you have people who are ready to step into that kind of more challenging space when it comes to following Jesus. Yeah, and that's just also then to use content. Like that person was asking for content because they already have the group. And maybe this is where content shines. If you have a scope and sequence and recognizing that one of the few levers we have as small group pastors is uh, recommending curriculum that you can look at a group and say, hey, what's next for you? Hey, what, what are your people struggling with? Um, we had several studies around anxiety um, oh, during the COVID season. People hadn't really done those before. I, it seems like there was such a 
need and people really benefited from that. So you can use the content once the groups have already kind of formed to shape the discipleship journey for people. And hopefully the leaders know they're, they're sheep and they know what they may be struggling with. Um, so I think, yeah, I think content works best when it's, it's like that and you can kind of dial that in um, and the different types of groups work. So Steve, what about the connection process itself? Like we both have done the matchmaker, which is basically, you can, you can describe what a matchmaker is, or we've done people going through a website and just picking it, um, self-selecting, and then everything in between it probably. So you have the whole whole uh, matchmaker service where you tell us what exactly you want, what night of the week, who you want to be in the group. Sometimes people are so oddly specific, it's a little strange, and which can sometimes feel a little consumeristic. But at the same time, they know what they want and you want to be able to provide a, a place where they can find those connections. But, this, but then themselves selecting has its own issues. They can pick, so you know they're more likely to maybe um, you know, show up, at least the scheduling is easier, but a lot of times they don't stick any better than if they've been, um, you know, had a concierge experience. So what do you think about either method or anything in between? So, yeah, I would say ours is a hybrid, right? So it's not purely matchmaker. Um, when, when I first got here, it was all matchmaker. It was like, fill out this card and then someone will contact you and tell you what group you're in. And like, it, it's all like, hey, I phrased it in a very negative way, which was like, <laughs> hey, I'm shocked. We I'm, know, I'm so shocked. <laughs> we, we know what's best for you. You can't figure it out on your own. We'll figure out for you what group you need to be a part of. It wasn't that bad, but that's how I phrased it. Um, but I, I think the reality is, is that makes it a lot harder to connect for somebody to mm -hmm. connect into a group. Um, what we currently have is a model where someone says, hey, I'm interested in a group. And then someone reaches out and talks to them about the groups that we have available. Um, so we don't want it to be completely impersonal. Um, and we don't, our connection process isn't as easy as it could be, right? So it's not completely online, um, but sure, being able to just show up at somebody's house is the easiest thing. We've tried that, we found people don't actually just show up at people's houses, like they, like they won't. We would give out lists with addresses and pick a group and they just wouldn't. Um, because the best way to get somebody into your group is to invite them into your group. And so our process is designed around facilitating that invitation. So yeah, uh, so, so when you have them on a list though, then don't, doesn't the leader then contact them so that they have an invitation? Yes, so they can't show up. It's, I, I won't say it's impossible, but it's really, really difficult for somebody to show up without having talked to the leader of that group. Yeah, I think that um, would help. Right. We don't give out addresses. We don't do any of that. We also limit how much information we ask for. We're actually in the process of mm -hmm. limiting that even more where uh, we used to ask like, okay, what days of the week work for you? Do you need childcare? Like all of the things we're trying to solve kids. We're trying to solve calendar. Mm -hmm. We're trying to solve commute. Tell us where you live. We'll find a group close to you. Um, and then if the, you know, and then content and please hear me, I'm not trying to say content isn't important. I'm just <laughs> saying it's not the most important. Um, yes. But the, the struggle with that is it felt like we were setting expectations that then we couldn't necessarily meet. Mm. So someone says, hey, I want a group on Monday night that's within 10 minutes of my house. Um, and and even if they didn't need childcare, that still isn't something we could necessarily do. There might not be a group within 10 minutes of their mm -hmm. house that's open on Monday nights. So now we've set this kind of expectation yeah. that we'll provide this group for you because we're asking you what you want. 
as opposed to saying, hey, here's what's available um, and allowing them to kind of make those decisions. And that's that can be in flux. So I, I describe it as giving them a menu versus asking them. So it's the difference between, hey, we're going to get pizza versus, hey, what do you want to eat? So if I say to somebody, hey, we're going to get pizza, what do you want on your pizza? No one's mad if they can't order a burger, right? We're going to the pizza place. You, you can't <laughs> order burgers at the pizza place. But if I say, hey, what do you want to eat? And they say, I want a burger. And then I say, oh, we're going to the pizza place. Well, now they're, now they're <laughs> mad isn't the right word, but now they're frustrated, right? Because they wanted a burger, right. but all that I have to offer is pizza. So by giving them a menu and saying, hey, here's kind of what we have available right now, we're not setting up expectations that they'll be able to get whatever they want. Yeah, actually, I like I like that menu language. I think we have a hybrid too, and I bet a lot of our listeners also have a hybrid. But um, you know, the the matchmaking thing was super popular for a really long time, and we we hung on to it for a long time until COVID forced us to to go online. But it did create those expectations. Almost, almost. You know why? I think our rationale wasn't just that we think we know best. I think our rationale was also that um, our our groups are so unique and um, we wanted to be able to concierge the experience to say, hey, if you want a deep Bible study, we know these three are. And just by reading the titles, you won't necessarily know that. Um, and if we talk to you for a little bit, we'll, we'll get a sense of, you know, what, what is it that you're really needing? Is it, is it really uh, people to do life with? Is that, is that the main thing right now? Or is it discipleship because you're new on the journey? Like, um, I think so it was more about trying to find what they needed, um, but it did set up the expectation. And we did have a hard time with people who were like, wait, I can't do this night. And then we'd layer it on, right? So you'd have proximity layered on to scheduling, laid on to topic, and it got to be a really big mess, honestly. Um, and so when we were forced by COVID to put them all online and then put some guardrails in, which is that you can't just show up and we don't have just addresses there, we don't have their emails there, um, so that they actually have to have the conversation. So we still do the hybrid and it feels like giving some control back to them. So they have some responsibility now of what it is, but we do know um, have a sense of what they might need. So I think I think you kind of have to do both. Uh, maybe in a smaller church environment, you would know that automatically, like because you would at least know of each other perhaps um, to know what kind of group it would be. But the other thing too, I was worried about with the menu thing was I was worried people were going to bounce around to groups too much. Um, and my, one of the things my experience has taught me is that if people get over the discomfort, um, they can find community and the spirit will work in them. And so I felt like if they can just bounce around to three different groups, so then we kind of blocked that on the online thing. You can only go to one, choose one for now, and then you have to circle back with us. So I think figuring out a system where it's personal, people feel heard without making consumeristic, I think that's the challenge for connection. Yeah, so that's, that's good. I think, I think one of the things we're struggling to figure out because we don't run on like a semester system. We don't have natural endpoints for groups. Um, that again comes out of my experience of uh, having a, a group got large. So they called themselves the purple cows. Um, and so we, <laughs> we split them, right? So it's a Seth Godin reference, right? A purple cow is yes, extraordinary. Yes. Nobody talks about a brown cow. Okay. Yes. So we split yes. them into the red cows and the blue cows because red and blue make purple. Um, and so we had our red cows and our blue cows. And both of those groups 
were ceased to exist within six months mm. because they just didn't have the leadership structure. They hadn't been like it just it just didn't work. And so we don't have a kind of, hey, you're only going to be together for this period right. of time. But what we're finding is that there are folks who, who do need a different group in a different season. And so we're trying yes. to figure that out. I don't I don't know the answer to that. Um, I don't think the answer is semesters for us mm -hmm. in our context. Not that there's anything wrong with semester groups. It's just um, it, what military experience taught me. So in the military, in the Navy, you move every three years, which meant mm -hmm. I only had to have three years worth of stories. And then I could just start over. <laughs> so if I know we're going to be together for six months, a year, whatever, I only have to go six months or a year deep. And sometimes it takes two or three years to get to yeah. really deep places. And so we're, just, we're trying to figure that out. I don't, I don't know the answer to that. But yeah. I do think it's important to have some way for people to switch to a different group mm -hmm. in, a, in a way where they don't have to basically break up with their current group. Like there's an easier process. Yeah, I think I, I agree. I, I think we've tried to do, do a hybrid on that one, too. So we have um, short term groups to start with. And then um, we ask them if they want to re-up. And that's actually the language you use. Um, and then people just know that within in eight weeks, they're going to be asked that question of each other. And then it's not awkward or strange if someone says, hey, you know, I don't think this is the best fit for me. And it's not personal. Um, so they can step off and, and go to a different group. Other people will stay on. And we have groups together for 20 plus years. So it gives them, we just wanted a um, less, uh, less awkward breakup to not have it be a breakup, um, to kind of select something different for a season and to celebrate. It's always tell them, you know, celebrate where, where you've been together with Jesus and then uh, release people into whatever the next thing is. It doesn't work out as smoothly, smoothly as I'm saying it, um, but I think having the understanding that, you know, this is, you're not group, group for life and there are some natural exit points. Um, usually stage of life tends to, to lead to that anyway. As with all of this, uh, there are pros and cons. Yeah. So, Steve, thank you so much for your time and um, your honesty. And I think uh, hopefully this is really helpful for our people. I know Steve is active on our small group Facebook page. And so if you go on our Facebook small group network page, um, that's you can interact with him. You can ask him um, questions. You can message him directly from there as well um, on any of these things. I know he's given a lot of random thoughts to it now. And, you know, to underscore, part of it is we wanted to present both sides. So it, really, there's no, there's no perfect system and there's no perfect way to do it. Absolutely. Um, and <laughs> Figuring out what works for you and what yes. works in your context is the real work that's behind all of this. Like all of this comes from this is what has worked for me and this is what has worked in my context. And if you really want to get my attention in the Facebook group, just post I'm taking attendance and, <laughs> and I'll jump right in. And then hopefully someone else will take them on. That'll be a, a fun one. Um, so, well, thank you, Steve, and God bless you and your ministry. Thanks, Carolyn. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, and thank you all for listening to Here to There. Until next time, remember, we are better together. Thank you for listening to Group Talk. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and get new episodes downloaded automatically. Also, if you enjoy this program, please take a few minutes to give us a positive rating on iTunes so that other small group point people can find us more easily. We encourage you to visit our website, smallgroupnetwork.com, to access our library of free resources, connect to a huddle with other small group ministry leaders in your area, read our blog articles, or join us on our Facebook group. Don't forget to use the hashtag SGNet when engaging with your social media channels. Thank you for your support.